Good afternoon and welcome to number five in our series of Club Insights podcasts. My name's Jim Kent and I'm sitting opposite David Schreiberg. Uh, originally came to Luxembourg 20 years ago as the Vice President for AOL Europe. He was then a columnist for Forbes before launching Vital Briefing, a media monitoring company. Now he's very focused on filtering out the noise and confronting the challenge of fake news. And his company has been covering sustainable issues for the last year and has recently launched some new products too, which we will, we will be hearing about a little bit later. David, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jim. Very good to have you here. Thank you. Delighted to be here. How are you keeping? Very well. Thank you. Very good indeed. Now, uh, it's a big time for ESG, which is our primary topic today. I know, in fact, there are several things that we could be talking about, but uh, from your perspective, why is it so important that the world and the funds industry takes action on ESG now? I think all we have to do is look at the last 18 months of this pandemic, and there's an answer um, on the surface of that. It's uh, never been more apparent uh, as a result of this situation of the need for ESG and sustainability in general. Okay, now let's break this down a little bit. Would you say, are you more passionate about the E? Are you a, a green voting hippie? Uh, wow, what a question. Uh, I'm too old to be a hippie. Uh, I'm uh, green. I am green, uh, not necessarily fully green in my political affiliations, but I would describe myself as green, yes. Um, I, of course, one of the things here is that from an investor point of view, the green issue is something that they can hang on to. Well, what about S&G? Are those areas of interest for you? Absolutely. S&G are as important in many ways as E. I don't think you can separate them out in terms of what should take priority. All three need to have full focus. Now, let's talk about timing. Uh, although the industry has is now very focused on ESG, some people would argue... Um, that we're too late. In fact, the environmental damage has been done. I saw a quote the other day, 97% of all animal species have been negatively impacted in some way already. Yeah. Uh, are, are we too late on E? I think it's not clear yet whether we are too late. Uh, we're late for sure. Whether it's too late, uh, the cliche is correct, only time will tell. But there's no question that we have to move as fast, as furiously, and with as much um, speed as possible. Okay, when you say uh, action, what sort of actions are we talking about here? I think we can look at uh, various plans that uh, governments are talking about as a, as a starting point, green new deals, green deals. Uh, I think those take priority right now. Um, do you think that the general population out there is, is ready for this? Are they ready to pay the price for, for the green? It's, someone's, it's expensive, isn't it? I think in theory, Populations are ready. Uh, uh, there's no reason to say no to any of this in theory. I think when you start looking at some of the economic trade-offs, it becomes more difficult for people. Uh, any transformation, any transition implies uh, a lot of change. Uh, it implies fundamental change in many people's lives, particularly in their economic lives, in their professional lives. For older generations, I think it's a radical challenge to be able to make the shifts that are going to happen when we transition out of fossil fuels, for instance. The hundreds of thousands of millions of people who live connected to that economy are going to have to face serious change, and that's going to be tough. It and we see, is. I mean, we see political ramifications already uh, with the 
possible implications for Joe Biden reducing subsidies on fossil fuel companies in the States. Some people have thrown their hands up in horror. Do you have sympathy with that view? I have sympathy with the fact that many people will suffer in the transition, and so I understand the the resistance uh, from that point of view. Uh, but I think it has to happen. Uh, it wasn't happening with the previous U.S. administration. It was going the exact opposite direction, which is a tragedy. Makes things far more difficult now, both politically and economically. Um, I'm a fan of Biden and what he's doing. Uh, I think it's exactly the right direction to go. He's putting the right emphasis on it. I think the European Union also is uh, is a leader in this area and uh, doing not necessarily everything it can, but is doing a lot. Now, it's interesting there because you're making reference to two big government organizations as though they will be the drivers of change. Um, However, may I put it to you that in actual fact, it's, it's, what we've seen is, once again, in America, it's corporate America that actually seems to be placing, uh, they're, they're taking the moral high ground. Uh, in fact, is it corporates that should drive the change? There's, there's irony in corporate America or corporate anywhere taking moral high ground, as far as I'm concerned, but that's betraying my politics a little bit. I think it's, it's, um, it's a two-pronged kind of offense is from the top and from the bottom, from the grassroots. I think you have to go after these changes uh, from both ways, both directions, and I actually think it starts with the grassroots. Corporate America never really gets on board these kinds of things if they're not driven by their constituency or their stakeholders, and generally those stakeholders have to be their customers and consumers um, and their shareholders in the case of public companies. So if there's not that demand, not that pressure, uh, I don't think you'll see change. A great example of it in America is the auto industry, which resisted uh, change for decades. Uh, and I saw it as a young man in the 70s when Japanese automakers uh, ate American automakers' lunch by coming to small cars, bringing small cars to America. It took the auto industry decades to get its head around that and to get its manufacturing around that. I don't think it's so different now. Now, now they're getting religion, if you will, uh, but only because of other factors. Have you bought a Tesla yet? Uh, I have not. Uh, would you buy a Tesla if you could? Uh, yes, of course I would. Yeah, I'd buy an electric car, absolutely. Uh, but isn't there even two schools of thought? I mean, electric cars are quite an interesting illustration of n- not in my backyard politics. You don't pump out diesel fumes, but the energy has to come from somewhere. Yeah. So are electric cars a, a solution to um, mobility issues? I think it's a solution. I have... Interesting conversations about this with my nephew, who's a, a, a doctoral student in sustainability, sustainability, sustainability related issues. And we've had a lot of conversations around that. When you start looking at green solutions and you unwind them or unpack them, you start to see that there are other environmental price prices that are paid as a result of those policies as well. It's very complex. It's very difficult. But in practical terms, I do think that electric cars are uh, are one solution. Now, let's bring this back to Luxembourg. Obviously, um, big funds center. One of the issues here is uh, who will be the driver of change from an investor point of view? Do you think investors are at the point now where they 
actually look at what's inside of their portfolio and make judgments on, for example, an ESG basis? Absolutely. I think from the kind of grassroots level, that's that's where we're seeing it in the funds industry and in investment. Uh, I think a lot of the pressure is coming from investors, younger investors, uh, more socially conscious investors uh, who are saying, we now recognize, and even older investors who are saying, we now recognize that the, the planet is seriously endangered. There have been alarm bells ringing for decades now, but it's pretty hard to avoid listening to them or hearing them now. But aren't it, isn't it fair to say that most people, although they might verbally express concern about the environment, actually they still want their pension to deliver such a, percent, a percentage for For them. sure, for yeah. sure. There, there's, there's always that conflict, uh, good intentions versus personal uh, gain or um, uh, security. So do you believe that investors really are being authentic when they say they want ESG change? I think they're being authentic when they say they want it. Uh, I'm not sure when they see their returns if they're as satisfied with what they're getting, but I think that's changing as well. I think, again, younger generations drive so much of what's positive in the world, and I think that's going to make the industry even more um, willing and able to make the changes that need to happen. Right. And you believe that investors will do that. I mean, some people would argue that ultimately it'll be the mutual funds themselves will have such strict policies that they will be forced to change and sort of impose the change on investors. Partially, yes, but partially the pressure will come from the investors as well. You know, there's a tipping point in kind of everything. Uh, and I think we, what we're seeing now is we've hit that tipping point. Now, um, Luxembourg itself is a bit of a compliance sort of a jurisdiction. Do you think, is there a concern that we might actually become specialists in helping companies tick boxes rather than making meaningful change? I think we can do both in Luxembourg. Luxembourg is such an extraordinary place in so many ways, um, which is one of the reasons I'm delighted to be a Luxembourger now. Uh, we have the opportunity, as small as we are in terms of size and population, to have a huge footprint in this area in the, in the world. And I think we're already showing that we do and that we can on uh, all sorts of uh, green investment opportunities that are being created here in the expertise that's, uh, that we're building here and installing here. Uh, I think at the top of uh, public sector, um, there's great willingness and commitment to drive this kind of change and to see it as a business opportunity. Okay, when you say as a, as a business opportunity, are, are you referring to, for example, providing advisory services or helping funds in their reporting requirements, those sort of things? All, all Yes, those and more. Yes, exactly. I think we're in a position to be leaders in terms of the kind of expertise that we can offer on multiple fronts. Um, and also, sorry, Jim, just one yeah. more point. In the regulatory area as well, I think the CSSF has a, a wonderful opportunity and is taking advantage of that opportunity um, to, to set regulatory standards that will really help move things forward. Uh, you know, I wish some of my compliance friends were here to debate that because I know that they are <laughs> groaning under the weight of, uh, of regulation. I hear they're groaning. And, and I understand it as well. It's, it's a real burden. We, even in my small company, uh, there, are, there are things, there are certain bureaucratic things that we have to comply with that make life more complicated and frankly more expensive to operate as a company. 
Is there a risk that Luxembourg could be putting itself out of business by creating these new, these new regulations? Is it possible that the funds will try and choose cheaper domiciles to be based in? There is always that risk, of course, but I think Luxembourg has such a track record in history of success in that area that it's, it's relatively safe and secure from that point of view. Now, I'd like to talk about the United States. Uh, where in the States are you from originally? California. California. California, would you describe it as quite a green state? It's always been considered a leader uh, in, in that area in the U.S., yes. So it's not just Schwarzenegger's influence? Was it always oh, kind of... it was even before Schwarzenegger. Very good. Now, the thing about the states is that often their own policies become sort of world policies because of their power of that e- economy. Um, do you see that... The, the damage that Trump caused by leaving the Paris Agreement, is have we already managed to undo the damage that he caused? It's a great question. I don't think we know yet if we've been able to undo it. It was for lost years uh, and worse than lost because there were so many steps backward. Um, withdrawing from the Paris Agreement was just one of them. Uh, my hope is that the Trump administration and the signs are very good so far will be able to uh, make huge progress in the next few years. Now, the ironic, the irony about the United States is that it remains a divided nation. Very uh, much. I mean, I believe there are still something like thirty-five percent of people in the states who don't even believe that global warming is is a thing. Yeah. Do you think that we need more bipartisan solutions to try and reach out to that group, or do we just have to make the changes and, and ignore that rather stubborn group? I think we have to be realistic. Uh, I don't think we can ignore them. I think it's a, it's a fatal mistake to ignore that sentiment in the U.S. I think the, the effort has to continue to bring them on board, to educate, to convince, um, to argue, to listen, to respect the opposite views when they're based on science. Um, the problem with much of that part of the polarization in America is that it's not based on anything other than fake news, as you said at the beginning, or, not, or based maybe not only on fake news, but based on core beliefs that don't really conform with reality. But, and to your question, just to finish that thought on bipartisanship, I think what we see in the current um, federal situation politically is that bipartisanship is very difficult right now. And I think that unfortunately, this is a time where uh, this administration has to get as many things through Congress and into action as fast as they can. And so I think they have to use the devices that are available to let them do that. Now, how long do we have for this administration to get things done? My view, we have until the midterm congressional elections in 2022. Uh, traditionally in U.S. politics, uh, the House of Representatives and the Senate tend to flip uh, from whoever, whatever party has the White House, um, as happened with Obama, for instance. So the first two years are critical, and I think for it to be successful, the payoff from these transformative programs that the Biden administration is pushing and getting through, um, the, the effects to people and their pocketbooks and their lives has to be tangible to ensure that the, the Democrats don't lose Congress. I mean, in the United States, uh, tax is a dirty word. Hmm. Um, however, a part of Biden's plan seems to be reversing some of the Trump tax cuts. Um, do you think that 
if he does go ahead, is he still able to make progress and, for example, win a second term, even if he does undo these tax cuts? I certainly think it's possible. Um, for Biden to win a second term, it's a long way off. Uh, hard to say whether it will be him or somebody else. I think he said that he does plan to run again. Um, Harris obviously is in position in case he doesn't uh, in terms of party leadership right now. Uh, but a lot has to happen before 2024 to ensure that th what's happening now can continue. And I don't think we have a choice. I think it has to continue. Now, let's just talk about what meaningful change could look like and whether we think the general population is ready for it. I, talking about fossil fuels, mm -hmm. for an example. Now, one of the interesting differences, of course, between the EU and the USA is tax on fuel consumption in general. Um, it's, in the United States, it's been sort of sacred that you didn't put tax on fuel. Do you think they're ready for that now? Yes. I think there will be more of a readiness for that kind of tax than there would have been in the past or that there has been in the past. Um, Again, back to my notion of a tipping point, I think we really are reaching a tipping point. And I think the pandemic, before the pandemic, it, maybe we weren't. I think the pandemic has shown in so many ways that the time for fundamental change cannot be delayed any longer. And I think people are going to be largely willing to accept that and pay some of the price that will have to be paid for that. The tax, the taxes that, um, that Biden is pushing now are on the upper levels of income. Um, I think there's probably more of a sense of responsibility uh, at those levels. So the pushback, and again, as long as the Democrats can get things through Congress, the pushback probably won't be able to stop the, the, the tax increases. However, of course, most Americans will consume this information through the lens of whichever media channel they consume. For sure. Um, do you think that... Um, the strength of right-wing media, that's one of the key factors why ESG issues have not yet been taken seriously. Yes, absolutely. Uh, right-wing media, um, uh, uh, Newsmax, uh, uh, AON, uh, Fox, uh, at least on the, um, the opinion side with Fox, the news side is a little bit better. The kind of information that they are passing and have passed is extremely damaging to arriving at fact-based solutions and convincing people of the need for fact-based solutions. So a lot of that 35% you mentioned earlier, whatever the percentage is, relies on false information to reinforce, potentially reinforce pre-existing beliefs that really just aren't correct. So if these right-wing media outlets are spinning so furiously that actually they, they are almost fake news themselves. What could be done to stop that without infringing uh, free speech? It's a very tough one. Uh, it, it is a tough one for me as a journalist uh, running a media company to, to weigh in on that in a, in a way that wants to see any free speech restricted. Um, I think you just have to counter it with a campaign that shows that they're wrong. I think, I think it has to be the weight of the arguments, the strength of the arguments, the ability to empathize with people who believe in those ways and, and try to understand why they feel that way and work to convince them that, they're, that they have to see things differently for the good of themselves, their families, their future generations, the planet. Of course, we can't really talk about media without making a reference to the power of the big social media, the big tech firms. Do you see their contribution uh, more as a positive or negative to this kind of debate? That's a great question, and, and I don't have a simple answer to it. Uh, largely, 
particularly over the last four years, I've seen it as very negative. Uh, I think social media has had a hugely damaging impact uh, on reinforcing people's beliefs, uh, the wrong beliefs, um, for algorithmic reasons, for financial reasons, uh, and I think that has to change. What form that change should take is, is up for serious debate. Now, in, with your own company here in Luxembourg, you're sort of at the front line of sustainability. Um, do you see an increasing demand for sustainable information from companies like yours? Absolutely. So our first client for sustainable uh, monitoring, which is what we do, um, was a year ago. We started with this about a year ago, and it took that client a full year to get budget authority to do it. Since then, it's been a steady train of new clients and, and new demands for sustainability-related, sustainable finance-related uh, content and monitoring. So yes, I see, I see this as a train that's increasingly picking up speed. And this is your product where you have journalists around the world, actually, filtering news to identify key stories, right? Correct. That's exactly right. We have about 70 journalists around the world who work with us, and, and a number of them are working on these issues. And, and is your hope, therefore, for your own business to see this grow as a, as a product going forward? Actually, it's a great question. We've... we've reoriented the company around these issues over the past six months. We've relaunched our website to make sure that sustainability, sustainable finance are at the center of what we do. As a company, it suits us morally and ethically. We're uh, working on B Corp certification, uh, which is another proof of our commitment to this area. So yes, I very much believe it's central to what we want to be as a company. Final question for you, David. If we were having this conversation, let's say in, in 10 years' time, um, do you think, will we have gone past this or do you think the issues of ESG will still be very present in our minds? Oh, I think, I hope we will be far beyond the current moment in terms of the global situation where ESG is concerned. Um, but I think we'll still be having these conversations about what needs to happen, what hasn't happened. I hope we still are. I mean, perhaps the pandemic, it kind of taught us, even with the best laid plans, uh, surprises are around, global surprises are around the corner. For sure. And we're going to see more and more impact of what we haven't done in the past. We're going to see more effects from global warming, climate change. We're going to see uh, massive impacts in land use. We're going to see rising seas. We're going to see demographic shifts. It's, it, the impacts are going to come fast and furious now, and we're likely to see more pandemics. So it's, it's zero hour. And on that note, <laughs> what an incredible way to finish. Uh, David Schreiberg, thank you very much. My pleasure, Jim. Thank you for joining us at today's Club Insights podcast. If you like this, you can tune into future podcasts wherever you find them at Spotify, Apple Music, or also at paperjam.lu. And if you'd like to join the Paper Jam and Delano Business Club, simply send an email to club at paperjam.lu.